Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read from verses 19. Matthew 6. And we're going to read from verses 19 through to 21. So once you're there at Matthew chapter 6, if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word together. Matthew 6 and verse 19 through to 21. Once you're there, everyone stand together to honor the reading of God's word. We'll all read it together. Matthew 6 and verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, this morning we pray for your help, for your anointing. Lord, we pray again, wherever your word is lifted up and preached this morning across this island of Ireland, we pray that you would anoint your word, anoint your servants. Lord, we're asking for a breath from heaven. Lord, we pray, Lord, in this house today that you would open our ears that we can hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church at this time. Lord, we pray that you give us eyes to see and understand, and we pray and ask for wisdom that comes from above, not that which is the earthly. Lord, we pray for, Lord, your anointing to come afresh upon your word as the word is broken, as the bread of life is broken, that, Lord, our understanding would be illuminated by the power of your Spirit. Lord, above everything, that our lives would be changed by the power of your word. Oh God, this morning have your way. Lord, we lay our lives afresh upon the altar. We bring it all before you today, Lord. Lord, we just lay ourselves on that altar and say, Lord, would you consume us? Would you take us, Lord? Would you, Lord, change us by your mighty power? Lord, we pray that, Lord, truly the flesh life would melt away. Lord, we pray that your Spirit would have free course. Lord, we pray that you would shut out the distractions. Oh God, our thoughts are so often, Lord, in this world and the things of the world, and we miss, Lord, what you're saying or what you're doing. And oh God, we pray that you'd captivate us by the power of your Spirit this morning. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that you would give help, Lord. We just need your help, Lord. We realize we are mere men, Lord. We are but the wind, Lord. But Lord, we need you, Lord. We need your help. So, Lord, glorify your name through the preaching of your word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You may take your seats this morning. <clears throat> Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where the moth and the rust doth corrupt, and where the thieves will break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Are we about to witness the collapse of what the Scripture knows or tells us to be Babylon the Great? That is a 
world economic structure, the Bible prophetically tells us that there will be a total collapse in the last days of this structure. The fall of Babylon the Great is at hand. I don't say that because I have a feeling or I think or I just have an opinion. I say that because the Bible clearly teaches us that this will happen. There's two dimensions of Babylon the Great. There is the religious one that's found in Revelation chapter 17. It's known as the Whore of Babylon, the counterfeit religious system, an antichrist system. But there's also another dimension. It's a political, economic uh, dimension of this great Babylon. And if you turn to Revelation 18, you will find that the Bible clearly teaches us that there is a, a collapse, a crash. The world terms would be collapse or crash of this economic system. Babylon, the word of you just to help you to understand it this morning is, is taken from the word Babel. And the word Babel simply means confusion. Isn't the world confused? The Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion. But the word Babel means confusion. And just, just stay at Revelation 18 for a moment, but I'll, I'll just... So we understand it. <clears throat> it is first found as the city found in Genesis chapter 11. You can read that when you go home about Babel. Many or most should know about it. But this was a city. This was a tower that then humanity desired to build. And they wanted to reach the heavens. They wanted to advance in their, in their rebellion against God. They wanted to advance themselves and build a tower that would reach up into the heavens. And they said, this is what they said in Genesis 11, let us, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name. Lest we be scattered across the face of the whole earth and so they wanted to reach in their knowledge, in their advancement as a human race, but in the rebellion of their heart, they wanted to achieve the heights that they could possibly achieve. In other words, they wanted to be as God themselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And the Lord said back in Genesis 11 and 6, He said, Behold, this people is one. They have one language. And this they begin to do, and, and now nothing will be restrained from them. I want you just to remember this word, nothing will be held back. And God's sovereign plan, God then, knowing that there would be no holding back in their restraint and God's sovereign purpose, I believe that if God had have allowed men to advance at that time, the advancement of what we see today would have come much earlier in time. So in the, from the Industrial Revolution of the mid-1850s or so and onward, what we have done, we have exploded in our knowledge and our advancement as a human race. It's, it's, it's just unrecognizable. So God 
because of his sovereign purposes, he's outside of time and the unfolding plan of redemption and his purposes for the people of God. God restrained them from advancing back in Genesis chapter 11. Remember the word restrained. And then in verse 7 of Genesis 11, he says, Go to let us go down and confound their language that they may understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad, thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city, and therefore is the name of that city Babel. So the context and understanding and the shadows and the types in the Old Testament coming into the prophetic in the Revelation chapter 17, chapter 18, and understanding this Babylon of the old would be very much play a part in the in the prophetic revelation that we are living in today. He divided them, he gave them their languages. That's why there's the languages that we have all across the world. But you'll note that in the last days we are coming back together again, and that the world has one language. It's not English, it's not it's, it's not French, it's not German. There's a language that now is unifying everyone across the globe through the internet, that now there's a oneness in its advancement. And so there's confusion, and there's a restraint. Now the Bible tells us about this restraint. I want you to listen very carefully. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 7, just there, Revelation 18. Just wanted to talk this through before we get there. But 2 Thessalonians 2 and 7, the Bible says that the mystery of iniquity, the word iniquity, you'll remember, we've talked about it many times, is the word lawlessness, the, the mystery of lawlessness, that we are now witnessing again manifesting on our streets in the last few nights, the last week or so. That is the spirit of lawlessness. Just be very careful because I, I know in... I know in my own flesh, in my own flesh, in the flesh, there would be something that if I allowed that flesh to rise up of my background, that would say that that's our side or something like that. It's, it's, it's the spirit of lawlessness. Just be very careful because I know that, that that can rise within us very easy. But they got away with it. It's the same spirit of lawlessness on the streets. But could I also say it's the same spirit of lawlessness that's in our parliament. Listen very carefully what's happening in Stormont, the legislators that are putting through laws that will murder babies in the mother's womb. That's the spirit of lawlessness. So the young lad at 17, 18 years old is being waylaid by that spirit and by older elements going out onto the streets with petrol bombs and stones. The same spirit is at work right up into the government, right up into high places. We have a prime minister that you cannot believe a word that comes out of his mouth. I'm sorry, friends, it's the truth. It's the spirit of lawlessness. And it's already working. But the Bible tells us there that only he who know who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. In other words, remember the word restraint. Now I believe that the only thing that restrains wickedness is righteousness. Righteousness exalts the nation. And so I believe that sovereignly, progressively, God has been lifting the restraint that's been upon the nation. And so the nation has been plummeting deeper and deeper into sin. That's what we're witnessing. The restraint that God had put in Genesis chapter 11, this restraint now that we're witnessing in these last days 
is God's hand being lifted. And so in Revelation chapter 18, there is an end time Babylon. Here it is presented to us as in Revelation 18 as a commercial political identity. It's a financial structure, worldwide structure of the entire world. And it opens in Revelation 18, if you look at it, there is an angel <clears throat> that comes down from heaven and the angel has great power and the earth is lightened with his glory. And in verse 2 it says that there's a cry and he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen. So there's the prophetic fulfillment. This is the actual what will take place. This is the word of God. This is, this is why I'm saying it's not my opinion or my thought. The Bible clearly teaches us that Babylon the Great will fall and has become the habitation of devils, not as simply the dwelling place of demons. That, that's the end time Babylon that we're looking That's what we are looking at today. We're looking at a place that has become the habitation of demons and the hold or the prison of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth. That's the economic financial structure are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. The increase of abundance. You know, through all of these, this year, the so-called pandemic, but really what has taken place is that the rich have got richer. More millionaires and more billionaires. And there's a cry in verse 4. This is the cry, I believe. This is what the Spirit is saying to the church. If you can hear it this morning, not what, not what Tim McElrath is saying to the church. I believe this is what the Spirit is saying to the church. There's a voice that comes from heaven and it says, Come out of her. Come out of her, my people that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. The plagues here is judgment. There's a judgment coming on this Babylon. God is going to judge this Babylon, this worldly wicked system. God is going to judge it. And he's calling his people to come out from it because there's a judgment that's coming upon it. And so he says, come out. Verse 5 says, for her sins have reached unto heaven. You remember in Genesis chapter 11, what did they want to do? They wanted to reach heaven. They wanted to build. They did not want any restraint. They wanted to be as God. And now in the last days, her sins will reach the very heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Friends, I want to tell you something. God is God and he misses nothing. Remember they said, let us build us a tower and a city that we may reach the top of heaven. God has lifted that restraint that mankind has gone into depths and into heights and into an advancement in technology that we, we get lost even in what they're saying and what they're producing and what they have next in the pipeline. What's coming in? But the Bible tells us these things that they will happen. It's important that we don't get too involved in the 
intricacies and the detail of all of that, that we keep our eyes on, on the goal. So important that we don't get entangled in all that. This will happen. Don't be shocked that it will happen. It will happen. It is happening. And the destruction at this time, you can read the whole chapter, happens very quickly. Very quickly. It's a sudden destruction. In verse 10 it says, For in one hour the judgment has come. In other words, what he's showing us is that it happens so sudden. The judgment comes upon Babylon quickly. For in one hour thy judgment has come. Three times it says this in verse 17. For in one hour, listen, listen carefully. For in one hour so great riches. You know what it says? Comes to nothing. I, I tell you, friends, this we're, we're heading the fall, the great fall, the fall of Babylon the Great. And one hour, so greater riches has come to nothing. And in an hour, Bill Gates will be a pauper. And one hour, the billionaires of this world, the, the rich oil men, the landowners, the farm, all the men that have all the wealth and all the billions and billions and billions of pounds, the guys that run Facebook and Google and all their power, in a moment, it's gone. Just in an hour, everything's gone. Revelation 19, it says, For in one hour, she is made desolate. That simply means to lay waste. The judgment has come, economic ruin, totally wasted, just in one hour. That's what the Bible teaches us. If you want to know what's going to unfold, and I believe, I personally believe that it's upon us. Many would say this is awful. Think of, think of the people that may lose their jobs and lose their they're businesses, and this is awful. Can I tell you what happens when Babylon falls? Heaven begins to rejoice. Heaven begins to rejoice. Verse 20, heaven rejoices over her. Heaven rejoices over her. The holy apostles and the prophets rejoice, for God has brought vengeance. When this fall takes place, when it takes place, suddenly in heaven... The holy apostles and the prophets are rejoicing over the fall of Babylon the Great. Verse 21 says, A mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down, and shall be found no more at all. The voice of harpers, musicians, pipers, trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. No craftsmen. Whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. The sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. The light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. The merchants were the great men of the earth. By their sorceries were all the nations deceived. And in her was found, listen carefully, in her, this is Babylon the Great, was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and all that were slain upon the earth. And heaven begins to rejoice at the downfall of Babylon the Great. The blood of the prophets and of the saints and all that have been slain Upon the earth, God has brought vengeance. The dimension of this is the economic one, but she's, to use a very well-known Ulster term, she is inextricably linked to a religious antichrist system. 
found in Revelation chapter 17, the whore of Babylon. God's bringing judgment. You think of through the centuries of the prophets, the saints, the preachers, the believers, and even right up until this very day, of those saints that are suffering for the sake of Christ and are shedding their precious blood for the sake of their faith, God's going to bring vengeance. God's going to bring vengeance. According to the Institute of International Finance, the global debt has reached an all-time point high at the end of 2020 of $281 trillion. No, if you ever get a rocket or when we were kids used to get a length of drain pipe, you could pump it up, I think you get toys like that, and then you can shoot the rocket out it goes flying up into the air, has the fuel, has the surge, but eventually the fuel or the means by which that had been catapulted forward, that eventually is exhausted. And what happens as it's surging higher and higher and higher and deeper and deeper and deeper, whatever way you want to look at it, eventually there's no more fuel to carry it. And what happens? It falls. The global debt is going that way. 281 trillion. Now, I'm certainly not an expert in these fields. I could do with a lot of help, but you know, I looked at it just for a wee bit, and it's continuing to surge. Handouts. Help outs and eat outs. And you're going to get more. Everyone's getting a hundred pounds when the shop's open. That's fine. Go and spend it. Get your new coat. Get your pair of trainers. But you see, someone's got to pay for all of this. I don't need to, to go to and get a degree in economics or, or be a professional in any way to work out. If you get something, it costs something and someone has to pay for it. Anybody worked that out yet? Enjoy it, friends, when it comes. Handouts, helpouts, and eatouts. Where's it all coming from? Anyone ask that question? What it's doing is just going into the debt clock. It's fueling a debt. You know that they measure the total income of a country. It's called the GDP, the gross domestic product. That's how they measure the total income. And then there's the debt of the nation. Now, I don't understand it all. You'll excuse me if I try to keep it really, really simple because it took me a long time to work this out, and it's only two sentences, but it took me a long time, and I think I've worked it out. The nations have been advised after the crash of 2008 Anybody remember 2008? Maybe a few of you might be too young. Remember the global financial crisis? That time, I believe it was the case that 
certainly I believed, and I know many others did, that this was just a warm-up to the real thing. It was just a, it was just like a tremor to what was coming. Well, the nations have been advised by different experts that the value or the amount of debt as opposed to the GDP should never reach more than 60%. That, that's like advised that that's a good place to keep the country balanced and moving forward. In a 2013 study, the World Bank found that the debt to GDP ratio, the tipping point for a nation, like that's the point where a nation's going to go into great difficulties, is 77%. The UK at the end of January 2021 has just gone over 100%. The United States of America, the wealthiest nation in the world, is sitting at 108%. China, or China, as somebody used to say, (laughs) China is now the fastest growing economy in the world, but it is 208%. Would you be shocked if I told you this morning that the debt versus the GDP, that's the entire world, the world's debt, the debt versus the GDP, and the whole entire world is sitting at 355%. The tipping point is 77. What does all of that really mean? I probably can't tell you what it really all means in the details of all the finance of it, but I can tell you what it means according to Scripture. It means that in real terms, the fulfillment of Revelation chapter 18 is much closer than many people think. Do the research yourself. If any of the figures are incorrect, I've tried to be conservative. I'd certainly like to know if you're an expert in this field if you can help me understand a wee bit, but I think it's just as simple as this. What you get into your house, what your income is, should be enough to keep your house. Once you start to go into debt and raise up the debt levels, there comes a point where the pressure is so great that you won't be able to pay. What happens then? The Bible tells us clearly what happens about the lender and the borrower. We're going to have to pay it back to someone. Who? Nicky said to me a couple of times yesterday, but who owns all the debt? I said, that's a good question. Who have we to pay this all back to? Let me tell you who it is. It's an antichrist system that's wicked. I believe it's the ten kings without a kingdom. It's the superpowers of this world that will control the globe with no cash. And there's a voice from heaven says, Come out of her, my people. Be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not her judgments. You know, back in 2008 in the financial crisis, there was billionaires that took their own lives in a night. I read of one billionaire, multi-billionaire, lost most of his riches. He was down to 400 million 
and he still took his own life by slashing his wrists. He couldn't cope with only having 400 million. This is apocalyptic, of course. To many people, it's fantasy. Because we're trusting in the system. We're trusting in politicians. We're trusting in our own arm and our own strength. Let me tell you something. Every word in this book is true. And all will be fulfilled. If you turn back with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 24, these chapters here are relating, they're apocalyptic in their language. When you see prophetic language in the Old Testament, and often there's shadows and types of what would happen in the last days, and especially when the language is taken out of the old and it is repeated again in the new. So when you see it, when you see it in the old and then it is relayed again or written again by the Holy Spirit through men, then you can see that not only was it applicable to the day it was written in the national sense, but it was also applicable to, in a future sense, prophetically what will happen in the last days. And Isaiah 24, 25, 26 are chapters that not only relate to that time, but also to relate to the future events, which I believe we're living in presently. And so here in Isaiah chapter 24, we, we, we're going to read just a few verses just out of this, if you don't mind. But this is the judgment of God that comes upon this Babylon. And it says, Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty. He maketh it waste. He turneth it upside down. This is what the Lord will do. And scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. It shall be as with the people, so with the priest, with the servant, with his master, with his maid, with his mistress, with with the buyer, with the seller, with the lender, with the borrower, as with the taker of usury, so with the giver of usury to him. The land shall be emptied, utterly spoiled, for the Lord has spoken his word. The earth mourns and fades away, the word languishes and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the habit inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Does anyone see the fulfillment of verse 5? They have transgressed the laws, they have changed the ordinance, and they have broken the covenant. This is why God will bring a judgment upon the nations. God is going to judge the nations. Therefore hath the curse defarred the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate, therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left, but there is a remnant. The new wine mourneth, the, the vine languisheth, all the merry-hearted do sigh. The mirth of the tabret ceaseth, the noise of them which rejoice endeth, the joy of the harp ceaseth. They that they shall not drink wine with a song, strong drink shall be bitter to them that drink it. There'll actually be no place that they'll be able to find pleasure. The city of confusion. Remember, Babel, Babylon, confusion has broken down. Every house is shut that no man may come in. There is crying for wine in the streets. The joy is dark and the mirth of the land is gone. In the city, it is left desolate and the gate is smitten with destruction. The gates... Remember that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates will be smashed by the judgment of God. 
And when thus it shall be in the midst of the land among the people, there shall be the shaking, now listen carefully, there shall be the shaking of an olive tree, and as the gleaning grapes when the vintage is done. Now we'll come back to this at another time, but this just simply means that when the harvest has been taken in, when the, when the fruit is taken from the trees, and there are some fruit remaining, there's just a few scattered in around the tree, what they begin to do at the last is, there, there is, it's speaking here of a remnant of God's people. After the Christ, there is a people, and it's like those that have been left on the tree. There's just bits of fruit here and there, but there is a remnant. There is a remnant, and the shaking of the tree, the last bit of fruit on that tree, that's the remnant that's left after the harvest of judgment has come. But what happens at this time is crucial. They shall lift up their voice. This is those that have been left, the remnant that remain. They shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. And they shall cry aloud from the sea that there is a remnant at the crash and the, and the crisis that comes. There's a remnant of God's people that are not swayed by these things. They have come out of it and they are separated. But they rejoice in the Lord. Because that's not their world. That's not where their hope is. That's not what they've been trusting in. So they rejoice in the Lord that God has brought a judgment upon the earth. There is a remnant that remains in the crisis. And that remnant, it says, they are going to lift up their voice. God will give his people a voice in the crisis. They may not want to know you at the minute. They may not want to hear what you have to say. They have no interest in the things that you talk about. But when the crisis comes, there's a knock at the midnight hour. Have you bread in your house? And the people of God have got something to say. We have a Savior that we're trusted in. And they shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. And they shall cry aloud from the sea. Wherefore, the Bible says, hold on. Hold on a second. We're talking about crisis. We're talking about the, the earth being emptied and laid waste and destruction and a, and a collapse of the economic system. We're talking about, tell me you're real about this. I'm real about this. The Bible's real about this. But the people of God that are trusting in their God and their hope is in His Word, they have a song in that hour and they have a voice. Glorifying the Lord in the fires. Even the name of the Lord God of Israel in the eyes of the sea, there's a remnant. There's a remnant in the crisis. Brothers and sisters, God has a people in the crisis because their hope, their hope hasn't been in this world. Their hope hasn't been in this world. Their hope hasn't been in the economic structures of this world. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, has seen a mighty revival, seen a church awaken, started with four people, and those churches spread across the world. Mighty, mighty, mighty move of the Spirit of God. The last few years of his life, he was heartbroken as he's seen what had swept into the church, the indifference, the apathy. You know, when he started, they started with people had nothing. I mean, they had nothing. They were just poor people. But you know, the Bible says that the poor hear him gladly. It's so fresh, it's so real. You know, when you go out to some of the mission fields, and many of you have, 
You know, you realize when you go into those villages and they have absolutely nothing. They've got what they've got the clothes that they have on their back. And sometimes some of the villages that we went into, they didn't even have a shirt on their back. We ones running around with nothing. But when they came to know Jesus, Jesus was their everything. And you went back after a year or we went back in. Uh, in those villages, and we were trying to go four times a day into those new villages, and we go back after a week, they still hadn't a shirt on their back, they still hadn't shoes on their feet, they had an old mud hut and a corrugated iron uh, roof, but I tell you, friends, they had Jesus. And God moved there because all that thrilled their soul was Jesus. It was simple. But Wesley became grieved Four things, hopefully I can remember them, but there was four things in the last few years of his life that he began to write sermons to those that have taken the pulpits of the Methodist church across the land. And he said there's four sins that have come in that have destroyed the Methodist church. Unless we repent, the church will be over. His words, his words were true. The first thing that's come in is the love of money. That's grieved the Holy Spirit. He wrote a letter I think it was his last letter to the leaders of the church, Methodist Church in Dublin. And he basically lambasted them for what they'd made it. The love of money. Second thing was pride. Third thing was meekness. The fourth thing was no passion to share the gospel with your neighbor. He said it's destroyed the Methodist Church. When he died, as well known, John Wesley, when he died, he left six silver spoons Six pounds, one pound for each of those that carried his coffin. And an old gown that he traveled all over England. They said, I don't know many times around the world he would have traveled on horseback, but just an old gown. And that's what he went home to heaven with. But I tell you, friends, God help us. Bible says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust does eat, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's what the Bible says, what Jesus says, where, there ne where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break in to steal, because see where your treasure is. See where your treasure is. See where your treasure is. Listen carefully. That is where your heart is. That's where your heart is. Hasn't God blessed us? Hasn't God blessed us? No moths. Moths. Will eat. They'll only eat into animal skin, wool, silk, skin, your fur coat. I don't know why you've got a fur coat. Moths love fur coats. And what they do is they lay their eggs in your coat or in your good wool jacket, your woolen carpets, your woolen curtains. What to do is the moth will lay an egg, lay those hundreds of eggs in, in, 
in, in that garment or in that bit of cloth, those little eggs will be hatched. And then those wee eggs begin to gnaw through that material. I don't know where you've ever had a problem with moths. Moths are afraid to come into our house. But you know that old garment's good for nothing. So what do you do with a garment that's been eaten, that's got holes all through it? What do you do with curtains that are about to fall off, fall off the pole because the, the moths have eaten through the whole thing? It's good for nothing. You just throw it in the bin or you put it on the fire. Or what about rust? The way that rust begins to eat into metal, turns brown, begins to bubble, then have you ever have you ever grabbed a piece of metal that's completely rusted? Do you know what it's like? It's just like it just fall, it's just like powder running through your hands. There's no structure, there's no substance, there's nothing to it. Treasures. God's blessed us. We're blessed beyond measure. We're, we're blessed more than we could ever know we're blessed. I mean, we are blessed. We've been blessed in every way. It's not just materials. It's not just finance. It's not just money. You're blessed this morning because you're here. You're blessed because you have health. You're blessed because you have breath in your body. You're blessed because you can hear. You're blessed because you can see. You're blessed because you have food on your table when you go home for a lunch. We're blessed because we have a roof over us to meet in. We're blessed because the doors were open this morning and we had the liberty and the freedom to meet together as God's people. We're blessed to sing the songs of Zion and rejoice in the things of God. We're blessed to sit round the Lord's table to remember the Lord. We're blessed to hear the preaching of God's Word. We're blessed. We're blessed beyond measure. Our blessings are overflowing. God has bestowed upon us treasures. That's not just finance. That's Has God been so good to us? He's, in, he's bestowed upon us so many things, so many great things. His hand is continually open to His people, to His children to bless us. He's blessed us beyond measure. It's, on, it's unbelievable, the blessing of the Lord. And all those blessings... There's an accountability to the blessings. He has blessed us so greatly, but there's an accountability. Do you know there's an accountability? When we take all the pleasures and the treasures and the blessings of the Lord and which He bestows us with, and we do not use them for the things which are eternal, friends, there's a day coming. When rich men will wail. There's a day coming when all that we've received and all of the the blessings of the Lord and how we've used them. You know, into this world we come with how much? Nothing. And how do we go? We'll go with nothing. Oh, we'll keep that good suit for the funeral. I want to tell you something. It's nothing. You're wet in with nothing. You're wet out with nothing. But everything between those two dates, those two times, everything we're accountable for. Treasures. 
Let me ask you, friend, where's your treasure? This is really the key of it all. This is, this is the hub. Of, this is where, you know, when the rubber hits the road? Do you know when the real questions in life have to be answered? This is really where it comes to young people, older people. This is really where it boils down to, where's your treasure? See, Jesus said, if we can find this out, this truth out, see where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. See, it's a question Stephen said the other day on the phone, or Trish, one of the two of them said about, about his daddy saying that it was, it, was, it was a problem with the heart. It's an issue with the heart. And really, it's an issue with the heart. Really, when we come down to it all, it's always a heart issue. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's really where it's at. Young people, we could do handstands and jump up and down all day, but really it's down to where is your heart? Really, is what is it you really want in your life? The deceitfulness of riches, the Bible calls them the deceitfulness of riches. If I had this, if I had more, if I had a bigger house, if I had a bigger car, a faster car, the better job, the title, the better clothes, if I had this, I'd be happy. It's the deceitfulness of riches. It's deceitful. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You see, friends, if this question could be answered in every life in this room. If every life and every heart in this room really by the power of the Spirit of God, if you could hear this morning, not just with the things that are on the side of your head, but if you could hear with the hearing of the heart and the Savior speaking, where is your treasure? And if you could be honest this morning in the depths of your heart, where is your treasure? What is it you're searching for? What is it you're longing for? What are you looking after? You're going to find out, you're going to find out very quickly what the problem is. But I want to tell you something, you'll find out what the answer is. It's a hard issue. Where your treasure is, not as where your heart is. It's a hard issue. It's not a head issue. It's not a problem in the church or a problem with someone else. It runs right down into the very depths of the seat of affections and emotions and desires. See, it's in here, right into the very depths. The central organ of this life is, is the heart itself. It's not, the Bible's not speaking about the human organ. It's the place of your affections, your desires, and your longings. The Bible says we're to set our affections and desires on the things that are above and not below. And the real issue in all of this today, friends, isn't the fact of you, what you like and what you don't like and whether you like going to church or don't like going to church or whether you have to go to church or you're made to go to church or whether you have no interest in the things of God. Know what the issue is? It's right into the depths of the heart of a man and a woman because where, where your treasure is, that is where your heart is also. If we get to the heart of the matter, if we get to the heart of the matter, that's where we can deal with the real issues of life. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Jesus, isn't Jesus amazing? You know, there's an awful lot of waffle sometimes. But you know, Jesus just is able just to open and dissect right into the very depths 
into the individual and by the power of the Spirit of God saying, this is a heart issue. It's what your desire is. Have you been deceived with the deceitfulness of riches? I want to tell you something. I'm not talking about being a rich man. This is so important. People think, well, I'm not Bill Gates, so that's not talking to me. Oh, no, you, you can have a love for money and have very little of it, but that can still be your God. There's an awful lot of people when we come to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and there's been blessed with riches to be used in those riches and those wealth for the kingdom of God, for missions, for churches, for the work of God. And they haven't used it for that. They've kept it for themselves. But there's going to be a widow that has a mite that's given her all to Jesus. And when she stands there with her mite, and even the rich man might have given some amount of money that's more than hers, but because... But because he used it for himself. See, listen, it's so important. The love of money, it's it's the root of evil. The drive for money. I need more. Moths and the rust. Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom. Wisdom. Remember what Solomon asked for? What did he ask for? Wisdom. Anybody need wisdom? I'm not talking about this earthly stuff. You know, the church has become so wise today, but it's all the earthly wisdom. I'm talking about a wisdom that comes from God. You know, if you're sitting here today and you don't know what to do, you don't know where to turn, and you're not too sure what way it affects you, can I just say to you something? Ask God for wisdom. Ask Him for wisdom. Let no man deceive himself. If any among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool. That he might be wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness again. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are, the thoughts of the wise, the wisdom, they're vain. I don't know whether I can give it up. Let let me tell you something. Listen very carefully. That may not just be your money. It just may be your love of money. The men in this world that have gained the most are the most miserable men on this planet. That's why most of them, pop stars and everything else, fall into the gross immorality and take their own lives because they can't. They're all in and out of clinics constantly to try and find an answer. Your money never brings you the answer. Here's what Jesus said. He said, there's no man. There's no man that's left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake in the Gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first to be last, and the last are going to be first. You see, the wisdom of God is completely opposite to the wisdom of the world, isn't it? You'll not get this taught 
in your economics class of tech, listen, this is the wisdom of God. Now, Lord, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Bible tells us, close with this, that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, I want you to listen, there came wise men. Wise men came. They came from the east of Jerusalem. Tells us in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 2, it says these words, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down. You see, friends, really, this is, this is, this is really our response. And they fell down and they worshipped him. You know, this is really where it's at for us all in these last days. They, they came to Jesus. They were wise. I need to get to Jesus' wisdom. I need to get to the feet of Jesus. And they fell down and they worshipped him. And then this is what it says. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they got to the feet of Jesus, they gave him their treasures. Do you know the most precious thing that you have this morning? God doesn't need your money. Just want to let you know that. God doesn't need our finances. God needs nothing. But the greatest treasure that you can give Jesus this morning is to give him your heart and to give him your life at the feet of Jesus. That's the greatest treasure you can give him because that's the treasure that he died for. He just wants you like these wise men, wise men, wise men, wise. They came to the feet of Jesus. They fell down and worshipped him. And they gave him their treasures. That's a place that neither moss nor rust can ever eat away. These are the eternal things. These are the heart of the matter. Lord, give us wisdom. Make us wise. Father, this morning, we just simply bow in your presence before your throne. Lord, you're more than enough for every person in this room. Lord, I just pray this morning, Lord, you know every heart. Lord, you know the inner thoughts of hearts. You know the depths of hearts. Lord, you know the desire of hearts. Oh, God, this morning we just simply pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would deal with our hearts Lord, that there would be a probing into the depths of the heart of every individual. We pray for wisdom, Lord. Lord, we need wisdom to know what to do, how to do it, how to live. Lord, we're asking you're a God that gives liberally. 
of that wisdom. So God, we're asking this morning, would you just bestow upon every child of God that wisdom? Lord, we pray this morning for those that are between two opinions, those that are backslidden, those that are not saved. Lord, I pray, Lord, Lord, that they be wise. Lord, they would come, Lord, to the feet of Jesus. They would fall down. They would worship. They would surrender. And they would give the treasures, their heart, their lives to you, O God. O Lord, this morning we pray, Lord, again, Lord. Lord, deliver us from the deceitfulness of riches. Lord, we pray, Lord, for mercy, Lord, for your people, Lord. Oh, God, we know, Lord, that you're in control, Lord, that you will bring judgment upon this planet, Lord, that it is even at the door. But, Lord, we thank you, Lord, there'll be a remnant in that hour, Lord, that will rejoice and will have a voice to speak into this lost and broken world. We thank you, Lord. Lord, this morning we can truly sing that little chorus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Lord, may it be more than a song. May it be a reality in every heart today. Lord, we'd rather have Jesus. Oh, God, this morning, Lord, make us willing if we're not. Lord, may we apply and may we commit and surrender our wills to your will today, Lord. Lord, help us. Oh, Father, we pray, Lord, even as we come, Lord, to worship you, Lord, in song in these last few moments. Lord, I pray, Lord, as, as we sing that little chorus, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I pray in the name of Jesus this morning, Lord, Lord, that you would give wisdom, Lord, to every person in this room, Lord, to conduct, Lord, our affairs right before you, to be good stewards of what you've given us. But, Lord, that you'd be pleased, you'd be glorified, Lord, with these lives, O oh God. Oh, Father, we pray for a world that does not know you. Lord, we're praying, Lord, for a move of your spirit. Lord, would you touch our hearts afresh this morning? Touch our lives. Deal with us, we pray in your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.